Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Wow, there's a lot of pressure on me now to be approachable. Uh, especially with my two guests this hour, Daniel Hoffman will bring me inside the drama within the Russian, uh, the Russian generals, the Russian leadership, uh, the Wagner Group located in Belarus, the fighting that's going on. Dan Hoffman inside Russia, he was the CIA station chief, so you know that uh, that's for real, and his intelligence is going to be great. Uh, this hour will take your calls one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. In about ninety minutes, we're going to get another Supreme Court decision about student loan relief. Can an executive just decide with the with the uh, by picking up a pen to relieve four hundred million dollars and maybe billions of dollars in student loan debt? Is that fair? Will the Supreme Court uphold that? I hope not. As much as I feel for people with this debt, there's got to be a degree of fairness. When you sign on, you should actually have to pay. What about car loans? Is that next? And I would say this. If you want to help people out with student loans, cut the interest rate. I don't think anybody would have a problem with that. The interest rates are too high anyway on these loans, especially these parent loans for people with these schools that are way too expensive. But that's another that's another conversation. Yesterday, the historic move to uh, to upend affirmative action. Uh, it was in, I think it was in 2000, Sandra Day O'Connor says, maybe in 25 years, we'll be in a place in our country where we won't need this. The Supreme Court thinks we are. I think they are. But what about Jonathan Turley, constitutional law professor, GWU, Fox News contributor? Jonathan, uh, man, do it. I don't know. Whatever we're paying you, we should triple it, in my view. Thank you. From your mouth to God's ears. It's, I mean, there are slow periods in, in the legal profession. This is not one of them. So so bring me to uh, the affirmative action decision. First off, not a surprise. You heard the arguments, correct? I did. And this is what some of us predicted. The, the reason you could make that prediction with some confidence is that many of these justices have previously written their position on this. So when, when President Biden yesterday said, you know, they set aside decades of precedent, a lot of us had to chuckle. I mean, the, since, you know, the Supreme Court actually said you could not have affirmative action in education back in 1977 with Bakke, and they allowed for an exception in the limited use of race. And then universities turned that into basically a pre-Bakke type of situation. Ever since then, the court has been divided by four, and it's been a series of confusing, muddled decisions. But many of these justices have consistently said this is racial discrimination. And the most important is Chief Justice Roberts, 
who repeatedly stated, look, if you want to get rid of racial discrimination, stop discriminating on the basis of race. So I'm going to read you a little bit of more that he said. He said the student must be treated based on his or her experience as an individual, not on the basis of race. Many universities have too long done done just the opposite, and in doing so, they've concluded wrongly that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenged best the skills built or lessons learned from the color of their skin. Our constitutional history does not tolerate the choice. Uh, in the past, there was separate but equal. There were things that blacks couldn't sit in the front in, in certain places in the South, in the front seat counters in, in a diner. They couldn't be in the front of a bus. Uh, there was, they couldn't go to a school. They, uh, they couldn't go to a gym. So I get it, separate but equal. Do you look at a different – did you think there was at once a time for affirmative action in America? And do you think that time has passed? Do you think there never should have been? Well, I think that, you know, it depends on how you define affirmative action, right? Because we want to make sure that people have opportunities. And so we have funded programs to try to to eliminate this gap in scores, for example, and trying to find a way to uh, sort of turbocharge some of the urban schools that have been failing uh, minority populations for decades. And so those are very important uh, programs because what they do is they give resources to help people help themselves. In terms of using race uh, to assist someone, you know, what what the dissent doesn't really address is that whenever you say, well, we're using race to help out uh, African-American students, but they showed absolutely no empathy for the Asian-American students that were disadvantaged because they were Asian. And for those students, you can sort of, in a lot of these universities, have come out with these statements saying, this is appalling, this is wrong. And I keep on thinking of all my Asian students sitting there thinking, well, I don't think it's, you know, not all of them, but some of them saying, you know, I don't think this is so wrong. You know, I, you know some of these students were told to hide their race when they applied to college so it couldn't be used against them. I mean, that's just wrong. So I want you to hear just a sentence. Maybe you can put it in legal terms and take it on. This is from Kataji Brown Jackson. We're going to let them eat that, that let them eat cake attitude uh, obliviousness today. The majority pulls the ripcord and announces colorblindness for all uh, legal fiat. But deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in life. And having so detached itself from the country's actual past and present experiences, the court has now been lured into interfering with the crucial work that the University of North Carolina and other institutions of higher learning are doing to solve America's real-world problems. You want to take that on? Well, well, first of all, she's right that saying that you have to be colorblind in law doesn't mean society is going to be colorblind. Well, of course that's right. We're going to have problems with racism. But that doesn't really answer the question, which is, can you make racial determinations like this uh, under our Constitution? And the court said no. In fact, the court said, look, we've been saying for decades you can't do this in employment. Why would we allow it in education? And so I, I think that ultimately she's wrong in the sense of what the court is trying to do here. And, you know, it's it's really unfair, I think, also for some of the critics to look at this court and say, well, you know, they're just taking a blind eye to racism. None of these justices are racist. I mean, they're, they, they all want to fight racism. You know, people like Clarence Thomas isn't a racist. He's dealt with racism his whole life. 
Uh, he's overcome those barriers. But the distortion of the opinion is really, again, very unfair. You know, we have to deal with these problems. There's tough problems and racism and other types of prejudices that we have to address. But that's what bothers me about the dissent. Also, it really bothers me about what President Biden said yesterday, is that he really misrepresented uh, the opinion and our history. You know, he he even said that this is reversing the outcome of the Civil War. I mean, for the love of God. I mean, as a president of the United States, even if you disagree with the court, you should be facilitating a civil and honest discussion, not right. not creating these divisions. I know. And by the way, this is just a danger. And for both sides to take on every institution and just say, well, the Supreme Court, that they're uh, they're. Uh, they're intolerant or they're illegitimate. And I watched, Dan, I, I listened to Dan Abrams the other day on his show, on his serious show. And he said, guys, everyone should stop to looking at every Supreme Court decision, say they're illegitimate because you don't like the Supreme Court justices or the way Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump put them on. It's a real danger in not following the rules and trying to walk past it or ignore it, especially because they're not really making decisions on party lines. There's a lot of decisions out there that are not breaking the conservatives way. Uh, And I just thought that was an important moment. But in terms of the ramifications of no affirmative action, Gavin Newsom says, look no further than California, where we stop doing it. And look what happened. Cut six. For those that are wondering what's going to happen in their states, they don't have to look to California to know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to see a significant decline in African-American and Latino admissions in institutions of higher learning. We had roughly a 50 percent decline, just shy of 50 percent decline within the first three years of Prop 209 at UC Berkeley, UCLA. Just last year, just to underscore the nature of the world we're living in, only about 228 African-American students were admitted at Berkeley, 7,000 admissions, just 228. So what's your thoughts on what he's saying? Well, first of all, it's a, it's, a, it's a curious thing about some of the statements made by Newsom and by President Biden, because President Biden said last night, you know, the public opposes what they just did. That's not true. I mean, all the polls show a, a, an unbroken line of support going back decades uh, for getting rid of race as a criteria for college admissions. And that includes polls this week, which show a very significant majority agrees with what the court did. But the reason Newsom was so interesting is that this is one of the most liberal states in the union, if not the most liberal. The citizens of California have repeatedly uh, rejected affirmative action in education, including recently when there was a multi-million dollar campaign to get them to reverse that proposition that Newsom was talking about. And the citizens still overwhelmingly said, no, we think you need to make admissions on the basis of individuals. Now, the problem with having lower admissions numbers is something we should all be concerned about. I love a diverse class. For me, the most important diversity is economic. It doesn't it can, it, it's not really racial in the sense of um, I found that the most interesting comments from students in class have come from students that come from impoverished backgrounds, because many of my students have no inkling uh, what how most Americans live. And it, that's a factor of just the, sort of the affluence of higher education. 
But we need to have diversity, including racial diversity. It's, the question is how we achieve that. And it's going to require harder work than just simply having a box that says, okay, mm-hmm. well, we've got this certain number of this race. It means that you've got to actually get into these high schools, grade schools, and improve uh, the performance uh, in terms of grades to give better education to in these urban areas. Those are areas that have been in control of the Democrats for decades, and they have utterly failed those areas. I've written dozens of columns about this. It is disgraceful what these cities have done to these urban areas. I'm it's a huge advocate of public yeah. schools, and I'm mortified by what they're doing. And so what I would say to Newsham is improve your damn schools so that these students have a real chance. I love that message and give them choice. And if you want to improve the schools, go back to the free market. Well, you know what? You're going to have to fire some teachers because all these kids are going to charter schools. They're taking their $12,000 ahead and they're bringing it to Catholic school. And that's going to be an option. And that'll straighten up the public schools and they'll have to sell themselves to kids instead of telling them you're subjected to that school. I also love class rank. I don't know why we don't do class rank. If you have a school, how did you do compared to everybody else? Maybe your school grade's extremely hard and extremely challenging. And an 89 at your school was like a 99 at the school down the block. How did you rank with the rest of your class? They got rid of that. It's discriminatory, I guess. And get rid of the SATs? Why did you get rid of the SATs? Because you don't well, like a couple really of essay questions? How, how can you possibly judge somebody? Well, that's really the most insidious thing is the SAT. I wrote a column about this years ago. Because it was a very interesting thing that happened in California, because after the voters rejected the second effort uh, at affirmative action, Napolitano, Janet Napolitano, who was the head of the California system, brought together a task force to get rid of standardized tests. Because the best way to hide uh, diversity or or racial uh, criteria in admissions is to get rid of the standardized tests, because that's the measure in which you can show whether there's discrimination. And she sent this task force, and she stacked the task force. But when they studied it, they came back and told her, actually, standardized tests work well for minority students. They're great predictors on performance. And she said, thank you very much. We're going to get rid of standardized testing. Unbelievable. Uh, Jonathan, what do you think is going to happen with student loan forgiveness? Well, this is going to be the real nail-biter. we got two huge cases today, one more big in ter- bigger in terms of politics, one in terms of constitutional law. The loan forgiveness has a huge political footprint. On the merits, I think that Joe Biden was way outside of the navigational beacons. I think that uh, he did not have the authority under this law called the HEROES Act to grant this relief. But in order to get there, the court has to find standing. And just last week, they issued a, a really ferocious standing decision in ruling for the Biden administration on immigration. There are distinguishable elements in that case. So I'm not, I'm not as sure as some people that that means that they're definitely going to reject standing here. I think it's going to be a closer question. The second case, which is my favorite case of the term, and I've written about this as an academic, is 303 Creative. This is a huge case. Because it involves a woman who refused to do a website for a same-sex wedding. And um, this is Masterpiece Cake Shop 2.0. 
So that was the earlier case where we thought the court would resolve whether people can say no uh, to these types of creative uh, products. Um, The court punted, and now we have 303. But 303 is sort of like Cortez. The court burned its ships at the water's edge when this thing came to them. They had two different claims, one religion, one free uh, speech. Many of us for years have been saying these are free speech cases, and the court only took it on free speech. And that may indicate that they're getting ready for a major ruling on free speech. Very interesting. Uh, I guess we're going to see what happens. Jonathan Turley, you'll be standing by doing instant analysis all day, and then you could then you can enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much, Jonathan. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. You got it. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Your calls next about yesterday's decision, and we have not even discussed Hunter Biden yet, uh, and what they decided to do in his child custody case. Unbelievable! Don't miss it, Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Let's go out to Alex listening in California. Hey, Alex. Hi, thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to say that the, the very premise for affirmative action is false. Because if you pick an area of human endeavor, like, for example, academic performance, you would naturally expect different ethnic or racial groups to have different uh, performance levels because evolution made people different. And those differences are not due to racism or, or different levels of wealth. It's just we've got different cultures and we've got different genes. And, and I, I mean, we can respect people's individuality, but let's not try to create a false premise to justify affirmative action. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, Alex, it's got our country has to be a meritocracy. If you're the smartest guy, I want you to get the best education because Alex in California might be the one to start a company. It might be need people to work for you, learn from you, mentor from you. You want to diversify your company. You want to you want to look into a underserved community. You're most likely going to do that. But it's people who are at the top of their class, who's got this great work ethic, who show other Americans the way and compete with other Americans overall to make us better. We have to get back to that and stop. We should level the playing field, but we shouldn't. We should not. We should not script the outcomes. This isn't the WWE. The minute we do that, we're going to lose the American edge. We got to go out there and compete. And if you got that 105 average in high school, go to Harvard. I don't care what nationality you are. If that's what you want to do, maybe you want to be Steve Jobs, 
And you don't want nothing to do with that. You don't even want college. You want to go to your garage and invent something that's going to change the world. But I, I want to get back to that meritocracy. And I do think we're at a place that Sandra Day O'Connor said in 2000 that we'd be at. It's, it's a more level field, playing field today than ever before. Go out, go for it. And by the way, if you're a Harvard admissions and you like that essay that talks about someone's minority background and you want to put them uh, into, the, into your class, go ahead. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They're making steady but slow progress. I mean, obviously, if they had air power, it would be a different story, but they're operating without it. So they're operating at night, and they have to do this carefully. They have an advantage at night because all the Western equipment that's been given to them have night sights, and the soldiers themselves have night vision goggles. They have an advantage over the Russians there. In the daytime, the Russians are able to see them, and they can bring up their attack helicopters and their fighter aircraft, and the Ukrainians are very exposed as a result of that. It's unbelievable. I mean, we're just taking our time. Just let these guys win. Daniel Hoffman, former CIA station chief, served in Moscow, Iraq, Pakistan. Uh, and he knows the difference between Iraq and Russia, which is unique because the president doesn't seem to, uh, as well as South Asia and Europe. Uh, and a Fox News contributor, Dan, uh, welcome back. What a week. I mean, I cannot figure out what's taking place. Vladimir Putin, see his body language, his presence. If you see some of the social media, the pro Russian military sites are being critical of him for the first time. We see in Belarus a base taking shape where we believe the Wagner group is actually going to relocate. That wasn't a head fake. What what do you make of where Russia is right now while the war rages? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian. And these are for sure tumultuous times. Uh, Look, Vladimir Putin is at his weakest right now than he's ever been. His regime security is more perilous now than it's ever been. Make no mistake, Prigozhin wasn't launching a coup, really. What he wanted was for Putin to fire the Minister of Defense, Shoigu, and the Army Chief of Staff, Gerasimov, who have been uh, rivals to Prigozhin. And it was clear that Vladimir Putin wasn't going to do that. But Prigozhin exposed all that is wrong with this unprovoked war of aggression on Russia's part, the massive uh, blood and treasure that Putin has spilled. I was particularly uh, surprised that Putin admitted that the Kremlin has spent a billion dollars to finance Wagner and another billion dollars on catering contracts for Prigozhin. Now, maybe that's a precursor to bringing financial crimes uh, you know, offenses against Prigozhin and some of his associates. But Russia, the Russian people have to be wondering how it is that the Kremlin has spent so much money and the result has been nothing but atrocities in Ukraine, human rights abuses, dead Russian soldiers, reportedly 200,000 Russian casualties, 
a brain drain. A million Russians have fled. That's more than the 300,000 who were mobilized. So the concern for the United States, and you're right, Brian, we want this war to end as soon as possible. The way to do that is give Ukraine Abrams tanks, which aren't going to make it in time for this fighting season. Give them F-16s. Again, there's no plan for that in the near term. And attack them's long-range artillery. And without those things, as General Keene noted, Ukraine is really hamstrung in terms of taking the fight to the finish, taking the fight to the enemy. And that's the, the tragedy of this war. It is. And the thing is, too, you can't tell me the Russians aren't vulnerable right now. They, they, uh, Lavrov said we showed a great resiliency. I mean, these the Russian soldiers who don't want to be there to begin with has to have to wonder, uh, well, now we're fighting without the Wagner group. So who evidently knew how to fight better than the regular army. Now, Garisimo, if I pronounce that correct, is missing. So, but I know Shoigu went right to the theater to show he was still active. Is that what your sources say? Shoigu is 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 by Putin's side. The two guys who have been missing in action are General Suravikin, who was responsible for the air force and has been uh, labeled reportedly as a secret VIP member of Wagner Group. He was a close confidant of Prigozhin. His nickname is General Armageddon because of the uh, human rights abuses he 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 caused in uh, Syria when he was leading Russian forces there. Uh, he also he did the same thing in Chechnya when he fought in Chechnya. And he was part of the KGB coup in 1991. So he's, he's had quite a history. Uh, and Putin needs him. As you said, he needs the Wagner forces. They've been the most effective. What I have to emphasize, though, just looking back at this, the key to this whole story is Bakhmut. Even when the Biden administration's senior officials were telling Gen- uh, President Zelensky that it would be fine to withdraw from Bakhmut, that there wasn't any tactical significance there. Zelensky rightly had his courageous Ukrainian fighters stay and kill reportedly 20,000 Wagner mercenaries. That's what drove a wedge between Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense. He'd had a longstanding feud with Shoigu, but the fight in Bakhmut is what did it. Look, wars end when either both sides are too exhausted to fight or one side loses the will to fight. And I would argue, based on that uh, Ukrainian military success, Russia is on the precipice of losing. It's just that Ukraine doesn't have all that they need to finish the fight. So here's what Keane said about what's happening on the ground, because there's a story in The New York Times today how the Ukrainians are saying we need more armament, we need more rockets, uh, and we we need uh, long-range missiles. Cut 32. This is going to take some time. It took six weeks for them to get to Hershon City, and most of us didn't realize what was happening for weeks. I think we do have to have some patience here, certainly, and make certain that they're getting all the equipment that's been promised them in terms of ammunition, particularly artillery ammunition, and certainly anything to do to accelerate the F-16s and others getting into the country. It won't matter in this offensive campaign, but it certainly will matter mm-hmm. in latter ones that are coming. So be patient. They have a strategy, but they have no air cover. Do you believe that there's something going on there? There's a there's a plan, or do you think they're frustrated they haven't been able to move more? The plan should have been to give the Ukrainians the F-16s six months ago or a year ago. I can tell you from my own experience serving overseas in war zones in Iraq and in Afghanistan and Pakistan, Close air support to destroy enemy artillery is vital to moving forward in offensive operations. You can you can conduct defensive maneuvers without that, and Ukraine has bravely. But getting to the offense is a completely different story, and that's my concern. Is look, time is not on anybody's side. Every day that goes by, there are more civilians who are being killed in Ukraine, 
And every day that goes by with Vladimir Putin in the Kremlin is a risk to the rest of the world, especially our country. So that, that's the concern that I have. Uh, either you're in it or you're not. And the Biden administration has, has succumbed to, to escalation paralysis. The only success Vladimir Putin has enjoyed in this war, the only one, has been to induce the United States not to give Ukraine what they need and when they need it out of some rhetorical uh, nuclear brinkmanship. Every time Vladimir Putin threatens a nuclear war uh, or to bring out tactical nuclear weapons, the Biden administration talks of Armageddon and World War III and doesn't do the right thing. And it's unbelievable, too, because the fact that the Russians have a window of vulnerability that could close. You know, he could have a purge. He could get his feet underneath them. He could reconsolidate. But this is still, it seems to me, they've, they've let their solar plexus open right now, Dan. I think that's true. But I also think you want to influence post-Putin Russia. And the best way to ensure that the guy who follows Vladimir Putin doesn't want to pursue this war even in more extreme, with more extreme attacks is to defeat Russia and defeat them quickly. Otherwise, you run the risk of someone like Prigozhin didn't want to end the war. He just wanted to fight it more effectively. And that is not what we want. We've got to make it clear that the war is a loser. And again, whoever follows Putin, and that will happen at some point, and that, that there will be instability and there will be concern on our part about who's controlling the Russian nuclear arsenal. But if we want this to end, the best possible way for us is end the war and make it as fast as possible. Right. So they have about 150 million people. They've lost about, you say they've lost about a million, some of their richest people too. They're starting to be, it's beginning to play a toll on the oligarchs. And, you know, the, the last story in the Wall Street Journal was written by that, uh, the writer, Ger, uh, Gersovich. Gersovich. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was captured. They said, well, he's a spy. We know he wasn't a spy, but it was that article that talked about their economy. The reality is it is taking a toll on their economy. Is that what your sources say? Yeah, I think it, the economy has taken a hit uh, just over that weekend, last weekend, when the Wagner guys were, were advancing towards Moscow. Uh, a couple of uh, very powerful Russian oligarchs, uh, Patanin and uh, Rotenberg, fled on their own aircraft, one to Azerbaijan and one to uh, to Istanbul. And, and these guys are, are extraordinarily wealthy in the $20 billion range, and they kind of decided to, you know, to jump off the sinking ship that is Russia. But in spite of all that, Vladimir Putin still has the capacity to wage this war and wage it long enough to cause a lot more death and a lot more destruction. And again, the concern about the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and whether Russia would destroy that and cause, you know, a nuclear accident to occur. I mean, there's there are all sorts of things that could you could imagine that are going to be a lot that could go really dark for us uh, the longer this war goes on. It's just I just see and I think you see the same thing. This is a window of opportunity to change tactics. What are you worried yes. about? We're worried about escalate, escalation. What are they going to do with tactical nukes in Belarus? That's not going to blow back on their own country. Nuclear weapons can't help Vladimir Putin. The only benefit of nuclear weapons has been to scare the Biden administration into not giving Ukraine initially Patriot air defense and HIMARS. Now we are giving them those things, but there was a long delay, again, because of Putin's effective rhetorical brinkmanship on nuclear weapons. That's the only benefit of the nuclear weapons. It's designed to scare us. And every time we respond uh, in, in that fashion, allowing Putin to succeed in in deterring us from doing the right thing. We're just giving Putin more fuel to that fire. Dan Hoffman, thanks so much. Appreciate it.
All right. Happy July 4th, everybody. Uh, same to you. And let's pull uh, for the Ukrainians in more disarray with Russia. It will be a huge win for America. A win for Ukraine is a win for America. I thought the best analogy, I'll keep saying it, and General Keene said it, by spending less than 5% of our defense budget, we're taking out between 50 and 75% of the Russian defense forces physically as well as their armaments. They are an enemy. It's not our choice. We wanted to put them in the family of nations. Remember, Barack Obama made, uh, uh, scored a major point on Mitt Romney when, he, when Mitt Romney said Russia is our number one geopolitical foe in 2008, 2012, excuse me. Uh, Barack Obama says the 1980s called they want their foreign policy back. We were not looking to make Russia an enemy. They chose to do this. And to get our number two enemy cut down to size for a generation, that benefits America. Let alone a, what a strong Ukraine would do in the long run in Western Europe. There would be a, who would be a great ally of ours. You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. I haven't even touched the Hunter Biden situation and what he gave to his baby mama to go away. That story in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I miss COVID. I know. Dude, you know what I knew? There was trouble <laughs> when anyone that came to our country didn't have to get a vaccine. And I go, mm-hmm. if you're telling me I can't go to work, but everyone, everyone coming in doesn't have to get one, I go, well, once we found out, when Fauci said, okay, I'm sorry, but if you've had two boosters and two vaccines, you can get and give COVID to another guy who's had five vaccines and four boosters. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a vaccine and a booster? I don't know. It's just more vaccine, but booster sounds better. Anyway, a guy with 25 vaccines would get and give COVID to another guy with 25 <laughs> vaccines. That's why I'm introducing the daily COVID shot. Every day you get a shot. By the time you get to your car, you got no immunity. But it's a beautiful 39 seconds. That is Dana Carvey and David Spade, two buddies, I guess, on a podcast. Whose podcast is it? I think it might have been David Spade's podcast. Um, I didn't pull that up real uh, here. But I See, mean, it's just- normally that would be SNL. Yeah. But they'd be afraid to do that on SNL right now. They would never want to do Anthony Fauci mocking him for his ridiculous. And by the way, do you know what's happening behind the scenes? They're finding out that direct him and Francis Collins working hard to make sure the lab leak theory gets suppressed. Yep, which isn't surprising to anyone who's been listening to the show. And one of the one of the assistants to Anthony Fauci said, I'm using my private email because it's not FOIA eligible. Evidently, it is. So you have him going back and forth. Why would someone even write that? Like, what a putz. Like, if that's what uh, you're trying to do, way. why would you put that? And then in it, it talks about this vaccine. Yeah. I would never say this. If it was unbelievable. It, and you just know that the, the, the I, I just love twos because I listened to Joe Rogan yesterday and they're going back and forth with uh, Ice Cube. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I forgot his last time. I, I don't want to say Ice T. That's he's on a different series. But uh, Ice Cube and they're just going back and forth and how they both didn't trust the vaccines. And what have I been saying? And I thought I was unique to this. Then when Donald Trump came up with the vaccine, even Joe Biden was saying, I don't want to take it. And people were in Hollywood who he used to hang out with and who Ice, he's an actor. He's more than a rapper now, Ice Cube. So he says, nobody's taking it. All of a sudden, when Biden wins, everybody started taking it. And Ice Cube says, I lost two movies. 
because I refused to get vaccinated. And, you know, Joe Rogan said he was about to take it and he was supposed to do it before a fight. He says, everybody for the UFC, because you were I'm an employee there. They said, just line up. If you can stay till Monday, we'll give you a shot. Well, he goes, I can't stay till Monday. I got to get fly back. So he flies back Sunday night. It was the Johnson and Johnson uh, shot. And the week, the next week, they say Johnson and Johnson shot in some people causes blood clots. He's like, that's the last thing I want is thank goodness I didn't take it. That that's became the controversy when he refused to do it. So it's just it's just so interesting to hear people now that they're coming out of it. It's almost like you were drunk and you wake up and you say, you know, what did I do last night? Like, what were we thinking back then? What were they thinking? Why did we trust these people? And, and the trust is gone forever. And it's not, well, uh, athletes or intellects. It is everybody. I'm telling you, there's no trust. Uh, there's there's no trust out there for the next tragedy, uh, I believe, anyway. But I think the going back to the part, just, you wouldn't see it on SNL now, but I think the fact that now these comedians are speaking out about it more openly and making fun of him and acknowledging the just insanity that the shots were. At least that's a step forward. True. But I still think it's 60% of all the Hollywood actor types, the Democrats, think Anthony Fauci walks on water. He just got a professorship. I think George Washington or Georgetown. I think Georgetown. So he's going to be a professor. This guy wants to be a hero. I started watching. People said if you want to know how out of control this guy's ego is, look at that documentary where the cameras follow himself around, he has no self-awareness. He thinks he is a godlike figure, no, like it, a historic figure. I'm not sure if it was in that documentary, but when you've seen, like, the clips of his office, all of the things of, of him, him around, like, the bobblehead of him, anything that can have his image is in his office. And I'm just going to go back to 2024 with this. I do think that DeSantis is way off when he criticizes President Trump with Fauci. Because in the middle of this pandemic, where we didn't know what the next day would bring, and we still don't know where it came from, he sidelined Fauci, but he didn't get rid of him because the country would have tried to throw him out. He was so popular. And DeSantis said he should have fired Fauci sooner. I I thought he did the right thing in pulling him out because he was basically doing his own thing. And we also found out that he clearly is a Democrat. He had no respect for Trump at all. But I think he did the right thing in pushing him aside because that would have created another distraction, unnecessary distraction, which people have criticized, like me, for him doing. Like, why was it necessary to fire him or her? With Fauci, he's like, let me just, you're not doing press conferences. You're not doing them. I'll handle it. And then when Burke started going off and saying, wear goggles, you're done. So, and the best thing he did is put Pence in charge. Pence took total control and the communication with the governors was was fantastic. Those governors lost. They won't admit it, but they lost communication with the White House. And I think on some level, that's why Gavin Newsom's having trouble. Maybe he's manipulating him, criticizing Trump. Because Trump said, I, I'll give you everything you need. Tell me what you need. I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's a dream for a governor. So I just don't think DeSantis should go there. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. 
people. We're heard around the country. We're heard around the world. And we're focusing on the Supreme Court this hour. We talked about the big decisions yesterday. I got it. We'll go over it. But this just came across, and we're going to pop it up. That web designer who's Christian, who didn't want to serve and make a website for the LGBTQ customers, well, the Supreme Court just ruled in favor of the web designer. So what does that mean? Uh, you know, people say this, and I just watched Jonathan Turley say this shouldn't be about religion. It should be about free speech. You can make your own decisions. It's your own business. So we'll do some analysis on that. We are awaiting the student loan forgiveness program. I mean, this to me looks looks epically overstepping for the executive order just to decide with the stroke of a pen that you don't have to pay back billions of dollars worth of student loans. I mean, it's not fair to other people. So we're following that. That could come down this hour. But right now, also this hour, Josh Krauthammer is going to break down 2024. The president of the United States is going out every minute, make it a gaff a moment. And then we have uh, Fred Zeidman with us, too. One thing that affects all of us is energy. This green energy push is uh, flat out. We are not ready for it, and it's costing us dearly for no reason. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The biggest issue Joe Biden going to face in 2024 is Joe Biden. Everybody's concerned about his age and his mental well-being. Is he, is he physically capable of being able to do the job because he's so old? Uh, and that, of course, is Charlemagne the God, and he's 100% right. I'm not putting down 80-year-olds. I'm just saying that that 80-year-old is out of it. 2024, the president's picking up his campaign pace, and the gaffes are dizzying and concerning. The GOP sets down the criteria for the debate stage and may not feature the frontrunner, Donald Trump. We'll bring you the latest. Number two. We are going to have one standard of justice. And right now, if you are connected to the D.C. ruling class, you get a pass on a lot of conduct. If Hunter were a Republican, he would have been in jail a long time ago. Hunter headaches. House Republicans map out their investigative plans to find out what the Bidens been, have been up to and how it's affecting possibly his policies. We'll discuss. Number one. He doesn't know what diversity is. That's what he said. Yeah. And, and so he doesn't, he doesn't get it. Justice Thomas, when you say you don't know what diversity is, I say... You're full of it. Yeah, the Whoopi Goldberg, always a fountain of information and knowledge. Affirmative action, a loss of colleges, a, le- a loss for colleges, and left losing, and left the left is losing it. Of course, they go after the credibility of the Supreme Court. We're going to look at what it means and why I think it's better for America if we are judging admission standards by the candidate, not by the person's background, the color of their skin, the places where they're from or where their parents are. If you want to, after this ruling, decide if you are Harvard, Yale, or the community college down the street about that candidate in front of you, read the essay. Find out about their upbringing. Did they face unbelievable obstacles? Do you want that type of uh, winner uh, that may be with a slightly slightly lower grade point average? Let the colleges decide. Don't tell them they have to set a certain amount of people or they're they're going to be in violation of federal law. And that's really what the Supreme Court is saying. So there's another Supreme Court decision that I just came through. So here's the case. A Colorado businessman has now won his case, her case, at the Supreme Court in an appeal claiming that a state law would uh, force her to promote an artistic message she does not support 
and goes against her religious belief. And it's a message of LGBTQ uh, rights. Uh, so they want they went ahead and they said, hey, would you go ahead and set up this website? This person's Christian goes against their religious beliefs. So they say no. And they decide to get sued and they lose. And then ultimately they just won with a 6-3 decision authored uh, uh, by Supreme Court by Supreme Court justice. I don't know which one. It doesn't say. So uh, this private company's refusal to create any website for the same-sex wedding, despite a state's public accommodation law prohibiting discrimination, the Supreme Court says that's inconsistent. So there you go. That's one for the Supreme Court, and that's going to tick off the left, uh, maybe unjust, uh, unjustifiably. I think if I have a small business, I could decide who I do business with. But the downside of that is, let's say I just decide I don't like people from the inner city. Yeah, I'm not going to do business with you. Now, that's my option. But it's also your option not, not to be forced to do business with people down the block. All right, let's talk about affirmative action. Then I want to get over to Hunter. Here's the president of the United States when the affirmative action was punted. Cut one. The court has effectively ended affirmative action in college admissions. And I strongly, strongly disagree with the court's decision. Because affirmative action is so misunderstood, I want to be clear. Make sure everybody's clear about what the law has been and what it has not been until today. Many people wrongly believe that affirmative action allows unqualified students, unqualified students to be admitted ahead of qualified students. This is not, this is not how college admissions work. It does. I mean, not unqualified, but underqualified compared to the Asian kid down the block because he's got too many Asians. Cut two. You know, I know today's court decision is a severe disappointment so many people, including me. But we cannot let the decision be a permanent setback for the country. We need to keep an open door of opportunities. We need to remember that diversity is our strength. <clears throat> we have to find a way forward. We need to remember that the promise of America is big enough for everyone to succeed. You know, that's the work of my administration. And I'm always going to fight for that. I guess, I guess fundamentally, I, everybody wants to be able to do that. You want to level the playing field, but not, uh, not equal out the outcomes. We have to have a meritocracy where people are competing on a regular basis. So, for example, if uh, in life you have uh, your dad is the CEO of Goldman Sachs and you want to get into finance, okay, you're probably going to have a leg up because your dad knows a lot of people. He's been doing it for 25 years since you were born. You're working your way through school. You got an advantage, but ultimately you got to perform. Along the way, they're going to hire people. And when you start to distinguish yourself, and if you're not related to the boss, the CEO, you'll create your own legacies. So maybe you end up senior vice president and your kid is going to own private finance and then your kid has an advantage. It's the meritocracy of it all. But if your kid doesn't produce, your kid gets fired. And I'll give you an example. Uh, in this, this uh, latest Johnny Carson biography that came out about 10 years ago, I was reading about it. And this guy was pretty harsh on Johnny Carson. But he said, you know, he didn't spend much time with his sons. He got divorced multiple times. And Carson Productions, wasn't even NBC, hired both his sons separately. I think there's about five years between them. And they both got fired because they were terrible. They had no work ethic. They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be there, but they didn't want to do anything. So they both got fired from Carson Productions. Yeah, they never got the job without their dad, but they ultimately could not do the job. And that's the issue. I know Kurt Gowdy, for example, best sports, one of the best sportscasters ever, American sportsman, got it. His son ended up being one of the world's best sports directors. Would he have gotten the job without his dad? I don't know. I don't think so. 
But the minute he got in there, he was such a natural and so good, he made his own name. And he was actually bigger in the production world than his dad by the end. So you have an opportunity at different times. Your neighbor might be someone of influence. So when you get into this school and people and you get into Harvard and you start accelerating, no matter the color of your skin, they just want people to get in there. If you're on that campus, you earned it. And maybe somebody, you get in with a 93 and someone got a 95, but your essay killed it. And your class rank impressed them. And your SATs was slightly below, but your English was really strong. That goes into the candidate rather than, oh, I need another black person. Let me check that box. And that's what the majority opinion said. And here's what Justice Roberts said. The student must be treated based on his or her experiences as an individual, not on the basis of race. Many universities have for too long done just the opposite. And in doing so, they have concluded wrongly that the touchstone of individual identity is not challenges, bested skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. And I understand there's people on the other side of that. People think it now makes the world unequal, but maybe it's the world is equal and you no longer need the the two-goal lead in order to be successful. The other thing is uh, the Hunter Biden situation. You talk about a head up, leg up. This guy, crack, hookers, everything. He has shown nothing but a lack of character in whatever he's done publicly and privately. And we see that he is without conscience when it comes to things uh, like international business deals that that go against the interests of the country, uh, to what he's doing personally, to what was going on with uh, leaving his wife to date his uh, brother's widow, to the gun charge, to putting sex clubs on your tax reform, to lying on your background check when it comes to getting a gun suddenly you had to have. And now we know he was helping, working with a, an energy company, was helping f- push forward the Belt and Road program that China was created just to undermine American interest in continents around the world. And when they looked at his taxes and saw that this investigation wasn't real, that the international business rules weren't being followed, that we'd have no idea how much he really owes in taxes because they're not allowed to look into anything involving his father and others. That had the whistleblowers coming forward. WhatsApp messages being revealed thanks to Apple getting subpoenaed. And Hunter should be in a whole lot of trouble. Instead, he might be better yet, more than likely on a glide path to a plea deal he doesn't deserve. Here's John Solomon about what's being discovered in just investigating Hunter Biden. Cut 16. Everybody from David Weiss all the way down through the tax division, the career agents, everybody agreed that Hunter Biden should face far more serious felonies. And they recommended those cases to both the U.S. attorneys in California and in Washington, D.C., both appointees of Joe Biden, and they got turned down. The agents also got turned down for search warrants. The agents got turned down for permission to interview witnesses. The agents got turned down to ask questions about Joe Biden. And they were told they actually had a question for Hunter Biden's children, a factual question, very important for resolving the case. And they were told it's not in your career interest to go and interview uh, the Joe Biden's grandchildren. Incredible, right? John Solomon with more great reporting. So when we come back, I wanted to go into the energy side of things. Bidenomics is about going green. Even though it's got to be heavily subsidized and even though most of the material that we need from solar panels to rare earth belongs to China. How does that tie into the Chinese energy deal? We're going to talk to a very special guest next, uh, uh, Fred Zeidman. And then at the bottom of the hour, inside 2024 and the new rules that were just handed out by the by the Republican Party to get on that debate stage in uh, late August. 
We'll go over all that and more. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're waiting on that student loan forgiveness program. I know it affects a lot of people directly. Uh, my um, my remedy would be cut their interest rates. I think it's about to be overturned. Uh, Shannon Bream and those people like Shannon have told me that they listen to the argument as it seems like the Supreme Court justice is going to go against that. A court also ruled in favor of that Christian web designer who said it's against their religious beliefs to actually create a website for the LGBTQ uh, customer that walked in. And they have ruled in favor of the owner of the website, uh, of the computer company that, or the computer design company that was going to set that up. Um, and then we will also uh, we'll also take your calls in about 20 minutes, one 408 so we'll see what's uh, we'll see what's happening. But we are also overall uh, stunned that Joe Biden yesterday won on MSNBC and nobody even asked him. Nobody asked him about his son. Nobody asked him what is Bidenomics. Evidently, they're putting him out there to talk about Bidenomics. He act like he never heard the term before. And does he really want to talk about it? He's happy with his jobs. Fine. Happy with unemployment rate. Seems fine. But if you talk about wages, they've gone down. If you talk about home prices, they've gone down. If you talk about economic growth, GDP, it's at 1%, dangerously close to flat. And then you go negative, you're in a recession. I'm not rooting for it. And you're telling a guy to go out there and trumpet his economy when, number one, it's not soaring. People don't feel it. And if you don't believe me, look at the polls. Fox News just did a poll uh, pretty much the last three. NBC did one over the weekend, too. His approval range is 33% when it comes to the economy. Only 20% think we're heading in the right direction. How they could wheel him out at 80 years old in this gaftastic way to talk about the economy and how great it is is crazy. To me, yeah, uh, if you want to say, well, wait a second, you know, we are better than doing better than France. Man, thank goodness we're not Russia. And, man, China does seem to be struggling. That, that's an angle. Go ahead. You want to compare it to other, other big, big economies? Pick, pick out some moments, pick out some uh, evidence, and go ahead and make a speech. But to go tell the American people everything's going great, you just don't understand it. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong here. Bidenomics not good. The other thing is to not even say, you're not just saying there's an investigation going on at the Hunter. For the first time since, since the verdict was handed out that your son is going just to get probation in a plea deal for a gun and tax evasion case, what is your reaction? How could you... You could be Joe Biden. You could be Jill Biden. If Jill Biden had a podcast, she would ask that. What's her reaction? Now, if you don't want to go into the the legalese with the whistleblowers, I would question that. But I would at least say the whistleblower came forward and said that David Weiss did not have total control of his investigation. And your son got an easy pass. And no one even looked into and the international business deal. And by the way, are you the big guy? referenced in these emails because Tony Bobolinsky, have you met him? Because he has dates and times in which you met face to face. And the first time was to Beverly Hilton. Did you, were you there? Do you see this picture? Have you ever seen him before? And then if you've seen him, has he worked with you before? I think so. Okay. 
And then what about Devin Archer? I didn't. I forgot this. Do you know Devin Archer also got a job at Barisma? So Devin Archer, a guy known for golf and tennis, with his buddy Hunter Biden, was going to be John Kerry's uh, son and uh, stepson too, but he backed out. Became board members at Barisma, and neither of them had any qualifications. Yesterday, Jimmy Raskin pointed out that there's a story there that. Um, the president of Brisbane said that I, he put Hunter on the board, but it wasn't because of anything to do with Joe Biden. And he says he never discussed anything about that with Joe Biden, his son. He said, we were just trying to get better relations with the West. Well, that'll do it. You also have an obligation, I don't know, to put people on the board that know something about oil and gas and his experiences. I, really, I ride the train a lot. I'm not too sure that that's going to fly. So I was just flabbergasted that they would not ask him any questions. At all, that would help. So here's Gary Shapley on Fox talking about the Hunter Biden he knew and the investigation and the questions they couldn't ask. Cut 24. The crux of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to include uh, uh, certain names and document requests and search warrants. So, you know, we were precluded from following that line of questioning. We were conducting an investigation of Hunter Biden, and we were trying to follow the normal process. We were trying to get to the bottom of it. And ultimately, you know, if it was going to lead to another individual, you know, we should follow that. To, uh, to determine what is actually happening. Um, but, you know, there were definitely hindrances that I've never seen before in my 14 years concerning this investigation that didn't allow us to follow through an investigation of any other individual to include President Biden. So now James Comer's oversight committee is going to want to talk to David Weiss. He's going to, they're going to want to talk to the two DAs that turned down them bringing the case, one in D.C., one in Los Angeles. They probably want to get Hunter Biden's testimony behind closed doors in the defamation case of Johnny Mac Isaac. That lasted for hours yesterday. What he said might just be enough to blow open the case because he's not the most careful speaker in the world. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The biggest issue Joe Biden gonna face in 2024 is Joe Biden. Absolutely. Like you know, I saw a, a poll that came out this week, and I think uh, he's leading Trump in a, in a general election poll by like four points or something like that. But yeah. everybody's concerned about his age and his mental well-being. Is he is he physically capable of being able to do the job because he's so old? His biggest problem he gonna have in 2024 is himself. Uh, and, and it's not his, his age, it's, it's, his, it's who he is right now at that age. A hundred percent. And then Charlemagne the God and his show, The Breakfast Club, they, get a lot of, they have a lot of politicians through there. That is the person who president, uh, the vice president at the time who wanted to be president would eventually win, would tell Charlemagne the God, if you're not black, you, uh, if you don't vote for me, you, you ain't black. That was f- the famous line that he has not shaken, but he was able to still get elected. Josh Krasauer joins us now. Um, Fox News contributor uh, from Axios. Josh, welcome back. Hey, Brian. Great to be back. When when you hear uh, people talk about President Biden, how concerned are they about his, his mental health? Oh, there's a, a lot of concern. I mean, you may not hear it publicly from Democratic uh, officials, but privately, you know, every time he says, what, God save the queen 
or he, you know, walks off the MSNBC set during an interview before the the show segment was up. Uh, Those are things that people talk about. They not uh, say it publicly, but there are a lot of Democrats concerned privately. And it's more importantly, like it's Democratic voters that are concerned and and are not enthusiastic or deeply supportive of President Biden's reelection. Uh, because of the, those widespread worries about his age and health. And there was an NBC poll over the weekend showing over two-thirds of voters, a significant number of Democrats, uh, having those concerns. And look, maybe they ultimately don't matter when it comes to a re- an election where he's pitted against someone like a Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis or whoever. But uh, make no mistake, like it's going to affect turnout and engagement. Uh, if, if Biden is on the ballot, and it's going to be a real challenge to keep up with a type, the type of rigorous schedule you normally would expect from a, a presidential campaign, uh, you know, compared to the opposition, it's going to be hard to see him keeping up uh, with the type of schedule we're, we're normally used to in these presidential campaigns. I mean, we just watched him struggle through a speech on Bidenomics and really not being in touch on why it's called Bidenomics. Meanwhile, he was told he was going to do the MSNBC interview on Bidenomics, and it never came up. Bidenomics. Yeah. So, and it's kind of questionable, Josh, you know, if he's going to run the economy with 1% growth, if he's going to run the economy, I know the jobs numbers look good, but the uh, wage earnings, the, the decrease, the, the decrease in home values for the first time in years, and also the mood of the country, only 33% of the country thinks the economy's going well. So why would you run on that? Well, and, and it's the ability of the candidate, of the principal, to actually advocate the message that they want to talk about. So, Brian, you mentioned the great, great example that he's doing this rare interview, a friendly interview on MSNBC yesterday, and he wanted to talk about the, the – there's a lot of good news on the economic front. The Wall Street Journal had a report that things are looking a lot better, and it never came up, and he has not been able to come up with – the talking point, the soundbite, the interview that can really advance that argument. So that that's a handicap when you're on a when you're a presidential candidate trying to talk about your accomplishments and you can't even talk about your accomplishments effectively. That's going to be a big challenge going into 2024. And, and what you do is too. I mean, everyone he doesn't have an eloquent vice president. And so that's another problem. Her approval ratings are lower than his. Do you ever remember that being the case? I'm where somebody is that a vice president's that unpopular? Yeah, well, the NBC poll, that same NBC poll found that Kamala Harris is the least popular vice president in American history, in, in, in the history of their whole poll over decades. It's, cha- it's a challenge, right? I mean, you don't normally, especially, I think if there was a more popular vice president, a, a, a more adept vice president, you might actually see Biden stepping down and then passing the baton, as he talked about a lot when he ran for president back in 2020. But a lot of the reason I think Biden is being pushed to run for reelection is that they, they'd rather go with the known knowns, the known known of health and age, and, and that being a problem, with the known unknown of a Kamala you know, what would happen if you had a primary and Kamala Harris and, and every other Democrat wanted to take her on would create a really messy civil war within the Democratic Party. That, that might even be less less adept or less popular, frankly, with the Democrats that, that make these decisions. So, yeah, like it, it, it's not a, a good place to be. And I, I would expect, Brian, that Republicans, whoever the nominee is, bring up Kamala Harris quite a bit, even if she's running as the number two on that ticket. So I just want to share with you the Supreme Court decision that just came out uh, 90 seconds ago. The Supreme Court has ruled against the Biden administration's action over, excuse me, Biden administration over its ambitious and expensive student debt relief program, saying the White House lacked the legal authority to provide billions in federal loan forgiveness for borrowers. 
absent clear authorization from Congress. It was a 6-3 ruling by Chief Justice Roberts. Just your knee-jerk reaction. This was expected, don't you think, Josh? Well, the the substance was expected. I think the only question was whether the plaintiff uh, had standing. That that was always the question in this case. The Biden administration thought they might have pulled a fast one against the opposition, against the the notion that he can't just relieve millions of people from student loans by by just waving a magic wand. And that's what they did with this this executive order that's now been ruled unconstitutional. But there was some legal concern over whether, you know, who who, who would have the standing to bring the case against the the, the government. And I haven't read the, I've just started to to, to see the ruling, so I have to look at that a little more deeply. But that clearly wasn't an obstacle into uh, John Roberts and the court's conservative majority overruling uh, this program, which you know even a lot of Democrats uh, kind of acknowledged was exceeding the influence and power that a, that a president normally would have. I mean, what, why not car loans? <laughs> you know, okay. And by the way, he got his boost in the midterms because it looked like he it was suspended. I mean, so far, no one's had to pay back a loan for two and a half years. They haven't had to make a payment. That's plenty. Of, so you can't say you didn't get a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, politically, this was becoming a little bit of a hot potato as well. You know, the politics are a little bit mixed on this because this is a way to get younger people, um, you know, African-Americans also much more supportive of, of relieving these student loans. And who, who would complain about getting free money? Right. That, that's why that's why we have checks and balances. That's why we have a legislature to actually pass laws and, and, and to actually determine what, you know, what, what, what policy is done when it comes to student loans and other things. Uh, look, I, but I think you, you've seen this over the last year and a half, a lot of concern about the debt, a lot of concern about just excessive government overreach. We've, we've seen that in, in our politics over the last year, and there's been a backlash to the Biden administration. And they've, they've been trying to move in many ways to the middle, um, but they didn't do that on, on the student loan case. And um, I think they, were, they may have on the political side realized this was not – uh, constitutional, but maybe they wanted the Supreme mm-hmm. Court to actually say that instead of actually being the, the bad guy and saying we're not going to continue these these endless uh, student loan relief. All right. So we have the uh, let's move on and talk about 2024 if we can. And so far, it looks as though the criteria has been set to get on stage, uh, which for many candidates will make or break them. So on, a, on the 23rd, you have to prove to the RNC they've hit at least one percent in three national polls or a mix of national and early state polls recognized by the committee, plus 40,000 individual donors for their campaign for at least 200 unique donors per state in 20 or more states. So how would you look at that criteria before we even get to the loyalty pledge? Do you think that's reasonable? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I think you could quibble with some of the details, but certainly the polling, you know, you should have to have a certain threshold in polling to, to qualify at that point for the presidential debate stage. You know, I, I'm looking at someone, Brian, like Chris Christie, who is taking it to Donald Trump, who is a really good prosecutor, a really good public speaker. Uh, you know, I think he, w- he would certainly qualify for the polling, I-, I would think. His polling has actually been quite quite encouraging in the last few weeks. The donor question is an open an open one. He may not have uh, that donor threshold in, the, in all those states. Uh, there's also a question, in, in, at least as far as Chris Christie goes, uh, there, there's an RNC rule that if you won't commit to supporting the Republican nominee, you may not be eligible to be on that stage. And, and I did an interview with Chris Christie a couple months ago where he said there's no circumstance in, under which he would support Donald Trump for president. So I don't know how they're going to interpret that and if that's going to be a roadblock at all. So there are a lot of – and then there's always the question, you know, it's not just the rules, but will Donald Trump show up for that debate, the big oh, debate and all yeah. that, that's on Fox. And I will heard for, for the record, he says he, won't, he will not sign it, and it's going to be tough. Someone's got to back off. So uh, for Donald Trump right now, 
Daily News is reporting, and I imagine it came from somewhere else. They don't do a lot of original Washington reporting. That Donald Trump could be looking at 45 additional charges from Jack Smith in the documents case. Is it? Have you heard that? I, I, I've heard on the January 6th side of things that there's, there's still a lot of movement going on. I haven't seen a story on, on additional document uh, charges. Uh, there's also the, the Fulton County case, of course, in, in Georgia um, that still could be coming down the pike. So, look, Donald Trump's going to have his legal hands full uh, over the next year and a half. And it, it would be usually hard for most, most people to have to fight legally while also trying to, to win the nomination and win the presidency politically. Uh, I, I think the biggest hand, the biggest challenge for Donald Trump, frankly, is that you know there's not a trial or they're, they're, he's not facing uh, like legal th- like, you know, chance to go to jail uh, before the November election. That's going to be the timetable of these legal uh, arguments and, and trials and whatnot might end up being more of a challenge for Trump than the, the normal give and take on the political campaign trail. That will be something. Uh, well, and there's no doubt about it. It's got to be a distraction. But you know what else happens, Josh? And I have to tell you, but uh, our audience. So you talk about Donald Trump, the documents case, the January 6th case. Uh, should he be running the Alvin Bragg situation, the Truth Social guys that just got indicted for insider training? When you're talking about Trump, even if it's bad news, you're not talking about the rest of the field. That has so much to do with why they're in single digits and yeah. has a lot to do with why DeSantis hasn't gained. I want you to hear a little from DeSantis yesterday. Talk about the so-called uh, disloyalty that that uh, evidently Donald Trump, well, Donald Trump has even said it over and over again, the disloyalty that Donald Trump feels towards Ron DeSantis, cut 25. Trump says you're disloyal. Do you feel that way? Disloyal to who? I mean, you know, politicians have to earn support. They're not entitled to support. Uh, I did a lot for him in 2016 and 2020, by the way. I was happy to do it. But at the end of the day, um, you know, I'm loyal to my family, to our Constitution, and to the good Lord. And I have a vision Uh, I think I'm the guy that can beat Biden. But even more importantly, no more excuses on these issues. I'm going to get all of this stuff done. We'll have a plan on day one to get going and get cracking. We'll give you two great terms for eight years and really get the country on a fundamentally different path. I think I'm the guy to do it. And so I have uh, the responsibility to step up and serve. Your your uh, your thought about his answer to the accusations from Trump, which is going to be the make or break him. Look, I think that was a good answer. Um, he's not loyal to any politician. He said nice things about Trump and talked about his family, faith, and patriotism being being more important than any one person. So, you know, I think that was a good answer. In his interview with Jesse Waters, I, you know, I think you know, coming up with crisper answers, getting attention, as you said, Brian, like Trump is sucking up all the oxygen in the room, just getting on the news. I think he needs to open up and do more interviews. By the way, with Fox and with everyone else. Um, because who does he was DeSantis 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 I mean he, he has been sort of in his own little world for a while and I think he's opening up lately but I mean I, I'd love to see him do regular interviews on Fox on a daily basis uh, I love you know I think he needs to get out there more and really start hitting some some fastballs uh, from from the media whether it's uh, you know whether it's Fox or any other network and uh, you know I think that would help him as a candidate help him uh, uh, you know get, get some attention and get some momentum uh, in this big big presidential race so I want to talk about Hunter just get your take on it, Josh, and see how this is resonating outside conservative circles. Here's uh, here's uh, John Solomon about the whistleblower and how and and the significance of what they said happened in the Hunter Biden investigation and how it could link and should link to the president. Cut to 17. They were thwarted at every investigative tactic, every search warrant, and then the two most serious charges. And Gary Shapley said to me in this interview, John, 
Hunter Biden to this day still hasn't paid taxes on $400,000 he got from that Ukrainian company, Burisma Holdings, in 2014. Think about that. Everybody's trying to pretend, well, there's justice served here now. Hunter Biden hasn't repaid the American taxpayers for $150,000 of taxes on $400,000 of income he got from that Ukrainian oligarch, according to the tax agent who worked the case. What is Gary Shapley's testimony meant as he goes on CBS, Fox, and speaks to John Solomon on Just the News? Is that, is that, that seems to be, I watched CNN do, do a story on it about 35 minutes after the hour yesterday. How is it playing outside uh, conservative circles? Well, I think it's not playing that much, as you just noted. It's not getting a ton of attention outside of Fox, CBS, as you mentioned. Look, these are serious ethical allegations. Hunter Biden already pled guilty to tax and, and gun-related charges. I, I was struck, Brian, that last week he showed up at the state dinner right after those the, that plea deal. He, those plea deals, he, he showed up at the state dinner with the Indian leader and uh, went to Camp David with with his dad. I mean, Biden doesn't seem to care. I mean, he's he's, he's front and center in a lot of the big moments over the last couple of weeks since the plea deal. So, look, in, 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 uh, there's going to be a lot of reporting. There's going to be a lot of investigations. We'll see where that leads. But at least from the White House, they're just blowing this off as, it, as if it's not that important and it won't have any impact on the president's reelection. Well, the thing is, if it was just Hunter, you're right. Uh, but as it relates to the big guy, as it relates to James Comer says, it could be as high as $20 million. It's not to 1.5. And it's not even 7.8 that Chapley said. It could be $20 million because they're going not for their guy's taxes. They're going for the bank records. Just final thought on this. I mean, you can, I, don't, I know you keep an eye on it, but I'm just curious how long you can keep your eyes off it. No, I mean, look, the ball is in James Comer's court. He is the point person for oversight and investigations uh, in this House uh, Republican majority. So I'm going to be keeping my eye on these hearings and seeing if they actually lead to people paying attention and what new information. We've learned some some details from, from this one whistleblower, but what other information uh, that can be unveiled to the public in these hearings that are going to be taking place over the summer. Josh, thanks so much. Appreciate the insight. 2024 getting more interesting by the day. Josh Kreischauer, thanks. Thanks, Brian. All right, listen, I'll come back and I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 Also remind you, don't forget One Nation this weekend, 8 o'clock. Unbelievable roster of guests. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He has that closing paragraph that is very interesting saying um, it's important that the public not be misled by those who are criticizing these majority opinions as being political. He says any misperception would be harmful to this institution and to our country. So he's saying, you know, these people who are going after the majority, whether it's inside or outside of the court, saying it's a MAGA court or it's driven by politics, it actually injures the institution. And it seems that he's saying here, dissenters, be careful because you're actually hurting the court. It is as lawyerly and nice as it can be, but it is clearly a heated disagreement. So... And there you go. Another decision by the Supreme Court uh, that is going to create some controversy about student debt bailout. There is some feeling, though, that the president is not disappointed, wasn't really comfortable with it, too, because it also ticks off a lot of other people. It's been brought out to me by Josh Krasauer moments ago because the people that did pay off the loans, the 42-year-olds that made the or the ones that worked hard and didn't take out any loans or the people that didn't go to college, that goes into the general fund to be paid off. Joe listening on Long Island. Hey, Joe. Good morning. Hey, Brian, good morning. 
Listen, I thought this was a great decision by the Supreme Court and in the affirmative action. I've spoken to you before, and I've said for almost 40 years I was discriminated in 1985 as a white person. It's reverse discrimination. I said, why do I have to answer whether I'm white, Negro, yellow, or Pacific Island? I said, what does my skin color matter about going to school? It should be based on merit. My son was discriminated in 2015. He had a great scores on the SATs, and I spoke to somebody who said, they judge it based uh, going uh, uh, Tony Duke. He told me, Joe, it's all political. They judge 2,500 people apply, uh, 10,000 apply, 2,500 get accepted, certain amount, and they don't and they don't look at the rest of the people going in. They take a certain amount for athletics, and they have to a certain yeah. amount in. I hear you, Joe. Thanks. We're going to have to end it there. We're up against the break. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't forget, One Nation, Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, big hour coming your way. Uh, we're going to be joined this week. Uh, actually, she just cut off television. Uh, Shannon Bream in about 10 minutes and Adam Curry. When you talk about a busy two days, a series of decisions by the Supreme Court, major impact, affirmative action. Uh, when you talk about the right of a Christian to turn down the building of a website from a customer that's LGBTQ, that was upheld. And then the blowing up of the student load program, that was done on a phony Heroes Act. It was put together to help fund 9-11 victims. That was put together after the pandemic to say people, students, couldn't afford to pay back student loans because of the pandemic. And, of course, that's totally unfair to people that didn't go to college. It's totally unfair to people that did pay the loans. But it is a great way to suck up to the next generation of young voters, right? Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The biggest issue Joe Biden going to face in 2024 is Joe Biden. Everybody's concerned about his age and his mental well-being. Is he, is he physically capable of being able to do the job because he's so old? That is Charlemagne the God from The Breakfast Club, and it is a major stop for candidates. And guess what? They're not impressed with what they've seen. Neither am I. The president is picking up the campaign pace, and the gaffes are coming at a dizzying and concerning rate. On the GOP side, they set down the criteria for the debate stage and may not feature the frontrunner, Donald Trump. We bring you the latest. Number two. We are going to have one standard of justice. And right now, if you are connected to the D.C. ruling class, you get a pass on a lot of conduct. If Hunter were a Republican, he would have been in jail a long time ago. Does anyone really doubt that, Governor Ron DeSantis? They don't. Hunter headaches. House Republicans map out their investigative plans to find out what the Bidens have been up to on the world stage for their benefit and our deficit. Number one. He doesn't know what diversity is. That's what he said. Yeah. And and so he doesn't he doesn't get it. Justice Thomas. When you say you don't know what diversity is, I say you're full of it. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg, always a fountain of wisdom, affirmative action, a loss for colleges, and, a le- and the left loses it. Of course, they go for the credibility at the Supreme Court. We look at what it means and why I think America is more than ready to finally level the playing field. And we're looking at all these decisions uh, right now. 
So we're saying, Supreme, hey, you want to apply? You're a college junior, senior. It's going to be about your grades. And remember, this was an Asian student that brought this to the Supreme Court because too many Asian kids were getting knocked out of Ivy League or or elite educations were getting to the institution they originally apply at because there's too many Asians in already. That doesn't seem American. And maybe we're at a point when we were separate but equal, when they were saying, hey, if you're African-American, go to the back of the bus. Don't sit at this counter. You're not allowed to use this bathroom. Don't even think about using this water fountain. That's not America, thankfully, today. And do you need to wait the game for, for blacks in this country, for women in this country, to check a box in order to get federal aid? And what the Supreme Court has said is no, don't need to do it anymore. Shannon Bream joins us now. Shannon, are you the busiest person in America? Um, right behind you. No, not like you. Doing some instant analysis. Uh, maybe this week, I maybe this week we flip positions. Back <laughs> next week. I know you're out there in the wind and the rain. Not not the rain, thankfully. First off, it's could you could you tell uh, our listeners that this, uh, the two major decisions that have come down? Yeah, so the first one we got today was this web designer out of Colorado. It was a free speech case, and she essentially said, you know, this Colorado law that tells me I have to do business with everybody impinges on my free speech because, she says, the designs I do are custom. They are I'm an artist, and I'll work with anybody on, you know, boilerplate, putting together a website. But if I'm doing something custom for an event like a same-sex wedding that is in disagreement with my personal religious beliefs, I'm not going to take that job. And uh, essentially, six to three, the court said today, an opinion by Justice Gorsuch, you can't compel speech. And that's the way they viewed the case. He said, you know, the dissent wants us to, um, when it's speech that they favor, protect it. But if it's something they disagree with, maybe they don't want to hear it. And he said, you know, you can't tell somebody they have to endorse a message or or use their voice to speak speech with which they disagree. So six three there, um, not surprising what the, what the split was on that case. And then, of course, the giant student loan case we've been waiting on, the court did find that the state of Missouri had standing to challenge this multi-billion dollar forgiveness plan that the Biden administration had and said, listen, the Secretary of Education, when he used the HEROES Act, which is supposed to help military members when they, you know, in the wake of 9-11 and the emergencies that they've run into, um, they said, yes, the Secretary, Secretary does have power to waive or modify, you know, different things dealing with statutory provisions. They don't have the right to blow something up from the ground up. And they said that's what they were doing by, you know, doing the student loan debt forgiveness plan that even Democrats, including the president, have questioned whether he really ever had the power to do it. And today the court says six to three. He doesn't. Well, there's pretty. Uh, OK, so those are two decisions and people are still looking at the bigger decision, arguably yesterday with affirmative action mm-hmm. and them deciding that it no longer applies. Gavin Newsom weighed in and said we were ahead of the game on this. And what could happen when affirmative action stopped in California? Cut six. For those that are wondering what's going to happen in their states, they don't only have to look to California to know exactly what's going to happen. You're going to see a significant decline in African-American and Latino admissions in institutions of higher learning. We had a roughly a 50% decline, just shy of 50% decline within the first three years of Prop 209 at UC Berkeley, UCLA. Just last year, just to underscore the nature of the world we're living in, only about 228 uh, African-American students were admitted at Berkeley, 7,000 admissions, just 228. So that's what he said. That's what uh, critics say is unfair. Well, what also happened is a huge jump in Asian-American applicants getting admitted. And they were the plaintiffs in these cases involving Harvard and UNC. And they said, listen, if I can have a near perfect SAT and a GPA that's 
you know, over four. I've got all these extracurriculars. I've got sports and everything else, but I can't get in because of my race. That is making a decision that disadvantages somebody on the basis of race. And, you know, the chief justice writing that opinion yesterday said you should be considering students, what they've achieved, their personal um, challenges, what they've overcome, their resume. You should not pick them based on the color of their skin. And he said that's what the schools were doing. So, yes, in California, you've seen a huge spike in Asian-American students being admitted. Um, but what the president said yesterday and being very upset about that decision said we should be looking at people who are wealthy and come from all kinds of different backgrounds and have really had to fight against different things. And many of these Asian-American students have come forward to say, um, that's my family. Like, I'm a first-generation American. My family has fought and scrapped for me to get an education and to be here. I'm not rich. We're barely holding it together. I should have a chance to go to Harvard, too, and not be kept out because I'm Asian-American. So I want you to hear what, uh, I want you to hear what Michelle Obama put out. Today, my heart breaks for the young person out there wondering what their future holds and what kind of chances will be open to them. Today's reminder, we've got to go back to work, not just to enact policies that reflect our values of equity and fairness, but to truly make these values uh, real in all of our schools, workplaces, and neighborhoods. What does that mean? Winston Sears weighed in, the lieutenant governor of, of Virginia, cut five. And isn't that great? She's black and she has a totally different perspective. I am black and I have a different perspective. I mean, isn't America great that we can think Absolutely. differently, that we're not a monolith? Right. Imagine that black people don't all lockstep think alike. Who could believe that such a thing could happen? I thought that was a great comment, non-defensive too. your reaction. Yeah, I mean, we saw the same thing a little bit at the court yesterday because Justice Thomas also wrote a concurrence to that affirmative action case. And he said, I am well aware of the pain and the mistreatment that comes with this race issue. Like, I've lived it. I mean, this is a man who grew up in literally dirt floors uh, in the Deep South um, and had all kinds of struggles. And he said, but I have great hope in this country. I see where people have achieved. And it's a dangerous message for people to say, um, you're not going to be able to make it if you don't have this special uh, preference. Um, Justice Jackson, the other black member of the court, uh, you know, clearly saw this a different way and, and said this is going to be a setback and, and hurts decades of progress. Um, but the two of them view it completely differently, just like you know, Mrs. Obama and the lieutenant governor. All right. Let's fast forward, if we can, and talk about uh, 2024. Uh, the Hunter Biden investigation really heated up this week in many ways as we got Shapley coming out, not only on CBS, but now with Brett this weekend mm -hmm. and really laid the gauntlet down. David Weiss, you can't both be right. Weiss says he had uh, free reign and he said that Weiss told him he doesn't. And then we had at least one of the two DAs who rejected the case got confirmed by the New York Times they did reject the case. So Merrick Garland on the record saying nobody would reject the case. So they can't all be telling the truth. So where do you go for this, Shannon? How are you going to approach it this weekend? Well, I mean, we've had great legal panelists. You guys have, too, I mean, to dig into what happens. I like to talk to people who worked at the DOJ, like, okay, how would this exactly work, um, and, and dig into their brains and find out. I mean, we're going to have um, guests from both sides of the aisle and our, our panel to dig into all of that. I mean, my hope is, you know, the, the attorney general has said David Weiss is free to speak about this, however and whenever he thinks is appropriate. Um, I have a feeling there are several House committee GOP chairmen who are going to say, We've got the appropriate venue for you. We think it's time for you to come explain this because 
the statements that we're getting are in conflict with each other. The testimony from the whistleblowers, it's all in conflict. So somebody's got to come forward. Is there nuance to this? Is there something we're missing? Uh, it would be great to hear from the people at the center of this. And at the top of that list is David White. Will he come? He, he will speak, I imagine. He has to. Right. I would. I mean, he's going to be invited by Congress. Does that turn into a subpoena at some point? I don't know. I mean, it's possible. Um, these House GOP uh, committee chairs, they've they've got the power if they've got the votes on their committee. If the party sticks together to subpoena people, I, I think they probably don't want it to come to that. Um, but I imagine David Weiss can speak for himself and it is very articulate and authoritative. And, you know, he's the one who could clarify this. So I want to go to the debates that are coming up on our channel on, the, I think, the 23rd of, uh, of August. It mm-hmm. looks like Donald Trump said yesterday, we have a lot of offers, whether it's real, whether it's a rally or whether it's an interview by somebody else, not to be braggadocious, but the debate will not be a very exciting one if I am not there. <laughs> so he's kind of letting people know he's not going to show up. So far, the criteria is you have to sign that loyalty pledge, you have 40,000 individual donors, 200 unique donors per state in 20 or more states. One percent in three national polls. So we got about, what, 13 candidates. How many Mm -hmm. think will end up on that stage right now? What do you think about that criteria? The loyalty pledge is a problem for Christie, Trump, and it's a problem with Will Hurd, I know. Yeah, and Asa Hutchinson, I think, said he's not going to do it either. He's very much objecting to it. Um, It's interesting. What the RNC has now said, excuse me, I think a little bit of clarity is like you have to get all those other criteria fixed. And if you meet all those other criteria, then we will ask you to sign the pledge. They're not going to ask everybody to sign it now. So some of the people who are objecting the pledge may not even have the chance to sign it. Um, But listen, you know, President Trump is not somebody who respected that pledge in the past or, you know, said like, yeah, I'll do it. And then later, like, no, maybe I won't. And I think that all these candidates are going to be able to point to that and say, listen, you guys didn't make him, you know, ironclad to this thing, and maybe we're not going to either. You know, Asa Hutchinson's take is, listen, if he ends up being a convicted felon, you cannot expect me to vote for him, and I won't. Whether that trial happens fast enough to be before the election is is a very sketchy, you know, prospect. I don't think that we get there. It's possible, but unlikely. Um, But gosh, I think there's so much else. This summer is going to be a grueling vetting process because the people who get onto that stage you got to think just about everybody else is going to go away. They're not going to have donors. They're not going to have any momentum. And I think that, you know, the president, the former president's going to make his own decision. But the fact is, these people who end up on the stage, whether he's there or not, are going to take every opportunity to rip on him. He won't be there to defend himself. But does it then end up looking like, oh, they're all obsessed with President Trump because that's all they could talk about. But they're going to take their shots, whether he's there or not. All right, Janet, uh, Fox News Sunday, you gave us an idea. Anybody else you want to promo for the show? Yeah, Nikki Haley is going to be with us. She gave a big foreign policy speech this week on China, the threat there, how she thinks this administration is getting it wrong, and how a Haley administration would handle it. So, listen, that's one of her uh, best criteria on her resume is that she was an ambassador, uh, ambassador to the U.N., and that she knows how to deal with folks around the world and has taken a very tough line on that. So where does she distinguish herself from President Trump on those issues? Um, she's got a lot of domestic policy issues going on today, speaking at Moms for Liberty. Um, and we'll talk Bidenomics with her as well. I know that uh, Moms for Liberty is a new organization. They mm-hmm. already got the biggest stars going, including President Trump, right? They do. And Ron DeSantis and a lot of the other big 2024 contenders are there. It, it shows you, I mean, this, this is really what something grassroots feels like. I mean, to me, that this group kind of came out from nowhere. And now all the candidates want to go and sort of kiss the ring and meet that audience. Um, you know, they've had a couple of hiccups and things they've had to apologize for. But at the heart, I think they're about making sure that parents have rights and information about what's going on in their classrooms.
All right. Uh, thanks so much. Shannon Bream, you're the best. Unbelievable reporting on the scene uh, the, over the last three days. Also, your entire thanks career, but just these three okay, days. Okay, thanks. Go get them, Shannon. All right. Uh, One Nation, of course. Uh, normally, Shannon uses this time to promote my show. She didn't want to do that today, and more on that later. I'm going to try to get to the bottom of it. One Nation, Saturday at 8. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Back with your phone calls, one 408 And at the bottom of the hour, we take a step back in time with Adam Curry, uh, one of the premier talents when MTV launched. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They have on the cover online, like Joe Biden walking off set, right? They act like Biden was confused. No, he just, he's president of the United States. He said, thank you, and I'm going to leave now. People do that to us all the time, and they don't end up on the front page of the New York Post. I mean, I get it. He says, God save the queen. I mean, I'm a big Sex Pistols fan, too. I'm probably not going to end the uh, speech with that. He confuses Iraq and Ukraine. I get all of that stuff. But some of this stuff is just ridiculous. When the president left the studio from the cold, he came and met with me for about 10 or 15 minutes. He probably was looking for where his meetings were going to be when he was leaving. Yeah. He was not stumbling around. Oh. The Secret Service was directing no. him. I think Alex has a picture of him and I meeting here. So he wasn't lost. Right. I think the post was lost. Yeah, no, he, he wasn't lost at all. I mean, you could see you could see again him him in a hurry to get out of the chair and get out and meet somebody really important. Oh, how ridiculous does that sound? Number one, you just uh, pointing out examples of a big deal. The bigger deal was getting up and after an interview, being that little self-aware. After all these years in public sphere, just going, good night, everybody, and leaves while Nicole Wallace is teasing the next segment. It's insane. Also, that thing, she did it two or three times. Russia and Ukraine, losing the war in Ukraine. What are you talking about? I understand Afghanistan. I understand because they, both wars are going at the same time. I get it. Sometimes Iran, Iraq, you know, I, you know, I've done that. But, I mean, to say Ukraine, Iraq, and Russia, that's an odd combination to continue to get wrong. Also, the silly balloon, the revelations, they have American equipment and sophisticated surveillance, uh, a, a balloon, I guess you would call it, going over. And then they say, oh, it was not transmitting any intelligence. We don't think. Why even make the announcement? When questioned by Jennifer Griffin on that very statement on something the president called a silly balloon, they couldn't even back it up. They don't think it was transmitted. They don't think it was able to pick up this uh, the sophisticated, uh, the sophisticated technology located on military bases. Incredible. Listen, this is going to be nonstop. The president of the United States just started the campaign. He decided Bidenomics was going to be his theme, only he wasn't even familiar with it. And then he goes and makes a series of speeches and, and makes stop uh, some, I guess, drive-by comments en route to uh, Air Force One. And he's making big mistakes. And he's eating half of his sentences on a regular basis. As Charlemagne the God said, hardly an attack dog against Joe Biden. People question his age more every day and his competency what am i doing here
radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. It's my privilege to bring in Adam Curry, very successful podcaster, former MTV uh, host uh, of the No Agenda podcast is the name of it. Uh, Adam Curry, I watched you for years. Great to have you on the show. Uh, Brian, it's good to be back. I appreciate it. Good morning to you. And I bet you have a Metallica T-shirt underneath that uh, that uh, suit uh, jacket, don't you? Uh, no, I wish I did. I wish I was that cool, Adam. I'd never be as cool as you guys. <laughs> I'm always a step behind. Uh, you know, I just I, I think that uh, I think the coolest thing I had was probably a Twisted Sister T-shirt before they got famous because they were from my town in Massapequa, and I was able to say to yep. people, "There's a Twisted, there's this new group. They wear makeup." And you're going to love them. And then Twisted Sister end up having their moment. Yeah, for a little while there, they were pretty cool. I'm not quite sure what D's up to. He's he's kind of wishy-washy back and forth these days. I know. But, uh, yeah, it was good times. So, so, Adam, are you sad to what's happened with MTV? Uh, I'm sorry, Brian, you cut out there. Are you, are, you, are you sad what's happened to MTV and the whole uh, video? Uh, oh, it, what, what's gone oh, on? Well, it used to be the place. You know, uh, we just have to take that as a moment in time that we all share together, those of us that are old enough, because from a business standpoint, MTV networks did the right thing. You know, videos were becoming a commodity, um, and you, you know about ratings. The rating on MTV was always 0.3 consistently throughout the day, and then they started off with the real world and remote control, the game show, which was fabulous, and that would get a 1.0 rating, which was a big deal. You know, that's three times times the numbers for uh, for audience size and of course that results directly into money and they did everything they could you know uh, BET Black Entertainment Television was competing for video premieres so MTV bought BET um, and it was just be, you know uh, online was starting to slowly come into view and you know they had to do what they had to do and they built it into a, a multi-billion dollar brand uh, and you know, it's, it's, I mean, of course I'm personally sad because it's trashy, you know, it's a, a bunch of pregnant teenagers is all I ever see on the channel. <laughs> right. And, and Adam, the thing is, I can't wrap my head around what happened. Music has not gone away. There's still a need to do videos when you come out with a song that that's going to be semi-successful. So why wouldn't you want to go to one place, even if it's streaming or on cable, I mean, have you thought about that? I mean, do you, do you, what happened? The consumer didn't go away. We still like music, old music, new music, depending on your age and depending on your, your likes. It... Yeah, well, we, we've, I have thought about that quite a bit. And ever since uh, I co-invented podcasting, which is now 19 years ago for the past three years, we've actually been working on exactly that because Spotify has also become just a, you know, really True. a junkyard for artists because no one makes any money. You know, you can have uh, a million plays and, you know, you have basically bus fare money. And we've figured out a couple ways within podcasting, this is kind of the new revolution, that you can now play music in your podcast, not licensed stuff, but you know, there's plenty of people out there who are making great music, who don't have a record label, don't use ASCAP BMI, and now people can uh, stream money to them in real time. And we're seeing guys who for, you know, are making more money in three days than they did in three years on Spotify. So yeah, the consumer is still there. The music, the artists are still there. We just need to move away from the existing systems, which is happening more and more. You know, this, you're seeing it everywhere. Streaming television is falling apart. It's not making any money. Spotify isn't profitable. 
So exactly what we thought would happen with the Internet is happening. Mm. You know, it's taken 30 years, but we're getting there. I know the one thing that I've heard from artists, the only time they can make money is on the road, touring, selling T-shirts and tickets. And so wait a second. No, if you have a hit song, aren't you set? No, absolutely not. So correct. It's no, just incredible correct. because they're they're the invaluable commodity out of all this. But let's talk about the city you used to dominate, New York City. When you see the Danny Penny and the Jordan Williams situation where people have to stand up for themselves, one gets indicted, one gets exonerated, but you literally are fighting for your life to see what's happening. I'm not saying crime is overrunning the city, but between the shoplifting, the smashing grabs, and now we're seeing what's happening on the subways. What do you think about where we're at right now? Well, where we're at is right back in the mid-'80s when I moved to Manhattan to start at MTV. I lived in Hell's Kitchen, uh, 56 and Broadway, and you could actually get killed very easily crossing Times Square at any given moment, if not by a cab racing by. You know, there were no rubber uh, rubber tiles on the – you know, now if you fall down on Times Square, you bounce right back up. Um, you know, we had the – it was it was seedy. It was grungy. And what happened was Giuliani and the, and the you know Chief Bratton came in and they cleaned it up. They had the no broken windows policy. I think we're going to have to go towards something like that instead of you know a mayor that uh, you know obviously is being very divisive, particularly of late. And you know that whole finger pointing episode was really you know. Um, in in Black American culture, finger pointing is not done. It is absolutely an issue. Um, of course, I was also uh, raised not to point a finger. You know, it was very rude. But it certainly wasn't a racial thing. It never has been. And so, for him to evoke that, that really messes with the with the city. You know, the the mayor may not be able to do, do all that much, but he does set right. the tone. I think he made a real grave error here. I also think that he is basically the police commissioner, and that's why the last police commissioner left. Keisha Chul, who the cops loved her, and she was really doing a good job on a, on a lower profile than any police chief because because this mayor wants all the headlines, and now they got rid of her. And the word is he she he's going to be hiring a, a woman who has no experience as a cop as a police chief. Yeah, we, we we've gone down a very dark path with our police uh, force and law. Uh, law enforcement services. And when I, you know, back in the day, Joan Jett and I, uh, every Christmas we do, um, we do a party for the widows and orphans for the New York City cops. And there was a respect there. You know, it was a respect that um, was understood. And, you know, we were all raised with, you can always go and ask a cop for directions. Now, I'm not going to say that there haven't always been problems, that there hasn't been, of course, there's there's bad people everywhere. But, you know, I personally think, you know, the the driving force behind BLM, which, you know, as it turns out, was a scam, that really did a lot more damage than we realize. And, you know, the cops are feeling – who wants to be a cop? I mean, I I moved out of Austin, and, you know, friends of mine are like, I don't want to be a cop anymore. No no one's going to – no one's going to stand behind me. My chief won't stand behind me. The mayor won't stand behind me. So why would I risk all you know my entire life and and future career? So we have some real problems to solve there. I know, but I I also ultimately feel like it's correctable. I feel it because I've seen it being corrected before. So I'm not giving up hope when these politicians realize they've tried everything and what they thought was going to work doesn't. My sense is that there might be somebody there who wants to do the right thing. You talk about the black community. Well, and, uh, go ahead. Your thought. Yeah, no, I, I was going to say the, you know, uh, in 87, it got fixed. 
Um, you know, uh, you're a New Yorker. You know that New York can be the great city that it once was. Though everything goes through cycles. The country is going through a, a, a horrific cycle right now. Uh, but ultimately, we have to look at, in my opinion, once you debase the money, you're debasing everything. And that's really what happened with the Federal Reserve uh, printing, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars, flooding that into the market. Not, of course, you know, really it was a wealth transfer. We have to recognize what happened first, and then we can come to terms with it right. and deal with it because, you know, that's just not going to go away. That, that It flows from the money all the way down to everything you're seeing on the street. Adam Curry, former MTV uh, VJ, as we know, and but now he's a host of very successful inventor, really, of the podcast, No Agenda, the No Agenda podcast. Well, let me bring you, you mentioned Black Lives Matter. You know, there's leadership in the black community. We, I grew up with that. Uh, we haven't really had it in a long time. But one of the real impact players is uh, Charlemagne the God, who I have not met. Deep thinking guy. Uh, very, the Breakfast Club is a must-stop place for a lot of politicians. Here's what he said that's rippling, uh, rippling around the, the news cycle right now. Cut 26. The biggest issue Joe Biden going to face in 2024 is Joe Biden. Absolutely. Like, you know, I saw a, a poll that came out this week, and I think uh, he's leading Trump in a, in a general election poll by like four points or something like that. But yeah. everybody's concerned about his age and his mental well-being. Is he, is he physically capable of being able to do the job because he's so old? His biggest problem he's going to have in 2024 is himself. I, and, and it's not his, his age, it's, it's, his, it's who he is right now at that age. So your reaction uh, to what they're saying, for them to be saying that, I, I think that shows maybe the foundation might be crumbling. Well, I, you know, on the No Agenda show, John and I have really come around to looking at this from a different perspective, as we often do. We're now kind of thinking that, you know, when you, we talk about the Biden crime family, but that may not be far off the mark. You know, if you remember Vincent Gigante, you know, the chin, the famous mob boss who was walking around in his pajamas and yep. muttering and stuttering, but, but he was in control. He was really in control. And I'm now thinking that Biden has so much, he has so much on everybody, having been in government for so long, that he may actually be a crime boss and have the, the connections and enough on everybody to keep, to keep this going. And, you know, the latest with the, you know, the CPAP machine, I think that's, you know, that's, that's total bull crap. He's, he's basically doing what football players do on the sideline. He's taking big hits of oxygen because it helps your cognition. I mean, he, he knows that he's, that he's in trouble, but I don't think he's going to give up. And I, I think that, you know, he probably still has the connections to even dare I say it, uh, make the election tilt in his favor. Yeah, well, I'm uh, yeah, I'm not really uh, sure about uh, all that. The CPAP machine, uh, I, number one, that means he must have just rolled out of bed. I mean, literally, unless it's the tightest mask ever, he literally must have either went to bed in a suit or just rolled out of bed, and, and that mask is way too tight. Uh, plus, a CPAP machine doesn't mean anything's wrong. That means that gets you extra oxygen. We'll see. Uh, but I'm just saying that if you see him on the stage, you do this for a living, Adam. You've done it for the longest time without a script, by the way. So you, with a script, he is struggling to get through a sentence, and this campaign hasn't even started yet. The last one he didn't need to do because of the pandemic. I mean, this is going to be trouble, especially when you have a guy who you're likely going to be running against in Donald Trump who will do five events a day. Uh, well, And he has his script is basically some uh, a magic marker notes. Uh, I want you to hear something that used to happen all the time on SNL. 
They used to be an equal opportunity offender. Of course, Don, you know, Will Farrell played George W. Bush. There was humor within the impersonation. They used to make fun of of uh, Bill Clinton and trying to grab every woman there was and all his uh, all his uh, peculiarities. I get it. And now yesterday, listening to David Spade and Dana Carvey have fun with someone that SNL wouldn't touch. Listen to this. I miss COVID. <laughs> I know. Dude, you know what I knew? There was trouble <laughs> when anyone that came to our country didn't have to get a vaccine. And I go, mm-hmm. if you're telling me I can't go to work, but everyone, everyone coming in doesn't have to get one, I go, well, once we found out when Fauci said, okay, I'm sorry, if you've had two boosters and two vaccines, you can get and give COVID to another guy who's had five vaccines and four boosters. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between a vaccine and a booster? I don't know. It's just more vaccine, but booster sounds better. Anyway, a guy with 25 vaccines would get and give COVID to another guy with 25 <laughs> vaccines. That's why I'm introducing the daily COVID shot. Every day you get a shot. <laughs> By the time you get to your car, you got no immunity. But it's a beautiful 39 seconds. <laughs> so just having fun at Fauci's expense. That is that's a third rail in the in the in the Hollywood community. Well, thank God for comedians and thank God for podcasting, because this, of course, was on their podcast. And what they're laughing about is something we need to you know, take very seriously. You know, what happened with covid is no we saw an incredible a crap uh, capture of big pharma and the medical community where doctors literally they could not prescribe anything different they couldn't say anything different because they would lose their insurance their license their practice you know their stature etc and this is exactly the same mechanism and it started during covid that is being used to um to take vulnerable children particularly teenage middle school girls who have all kinds of identity issues anyway and through um, really through like the American Psychological Association uh, therapists are being told that hey if if a child shows these types of behaviors then it's probably a gender issue and they need to go on puberty blockers etc that and they can't they cannot say anything different they are in the same position as doctors were with covid so we have to recognize that are there gender dysphoria issues of course but it's not 17% adam curry always great to talk to you uh deep thinker on so many issues congratulations on pioneering another venue and that's podcast and dominating adam thank you Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. one 408 7669 We come back, we find out if there's indeed more to know. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, don't forget to watch One Nation Saturday, 8 o'clock. I'll see you there, Fox News Channel. Meanwhile, let's find out if there's a need to know more. More to know. Invest in premium American whiskey as it ages. The older it gets, the better it gets. And the more valuable it gets. Go to caskdeeds.com. That's caskdeeds.com to learn more. Paid for by Spirits Capital Corporation. All right, here we go. Transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney, who destroyed Bud Light on their own volition, is now angry at them. Listen. I took a brand deal with a company that I loved, and I posted a sponsored video to my page, 
and it must have been a slow news week because the way that this ad got blown up, you would have thought I was like on a billboard or on a TV commercial or something major. But no, it was just an Instagram video. And the wildest part is that they also sent me one can with my face on it. You might have seen it. And funny story, I had the can around my house, but then I realized, wait, I need to protect this can. So I hid it somewhere, and now I can't find it because I hid it so well. So destroyed Bud Light, and now they put out a, they're trying not to bring up the name, so now they alienated the people that follow Dylan, and now they've alienated the people that drink Bud Light, who aren't the same people. Next, after two years of deliberations, California's Reparations Task Force final report with over 100 demands as it calls for an apology from the non-slavery state to people that didn't live then but fails to reach a total compensation figure. But you are talking billions of dollars, which, by the way, Governor, uh, Governor Newsom now is on the hook to pay. But he goes, I might not. He told, uh, he told Sean Hannity, I might not be paying that. It's not just about dollars. How, how, do you, how is he going to get out of this? Good question. Hopefully that uh, it just goes away. I mean, he wants to be a champion of the black community when it comes time to spending more money that they don't have in California. He's going to have to figure out a way to wiggle out of it. Yeah, I mean, they're already they have thirty three billion dollars over budget. I got to pay billions to a bunch of people that didn't live 200 years ago. Next, Virgin Galactic completes first commercial flight, a major step for major tourism founded by Richard Branson. Remember, so now you go into space, you come right back down. It's going to be in New Mexico. The company's spacecraft was flown by a pair of pilots carrying four passengers. The Virgin Galactic trainer to oversee the mission from inside the cabin as first trio of paying customers. The three paying customers are members of the Italian Air Force. The flight also carried 13 research payload, uh, payloads aboard. So Virgin Galactic stock fell 10% Thursday after the successful flight. Why would a stock fall after that? Do you know, Eric? He has no idea. Okay, usually Eric knows a lot about space. I don't, oh, really? no, no clue. I mean, it is interesting that rate given... Everything with the Titan last week. You're, let's still highlight, you know. Right. People are like, oh, they tourism. were explorers. They're not explorers. These people aren't explorers. They're, they're tourists. They're tourists. With a lot of money. But I have no problem with it. If you have the money and the technology and you want to bring people to space and down, it keeps space in everybody's mind. And hopefully we keep pushing towards Mars. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.